Hi, this is Cal Quantrill, and you're listening to the East Village Times podcast. NL West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope X prospects, Big Willie, leader of the young pups, they hating on us, watching you them jump up, we ain't care, we ain't scared of nobody, the outfield mad skills, lottie dotty. Austin Hedges throwing out everybody, we at the ballpark, every game's a party, ignorance is bliss, so we never trip, if the pitching's up the bar, then watch out for the kids, EVT is out here broadcasting, EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT podcast. Padres EBT podcast. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me, as usual, is Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, James. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. Uh, just uh, starving for project content as usual. Um, but speaking of which, uh, you know, it's important as a Padre fan or as any fan of a, of a major league team to get uh, an outsider's opinion when you're talking about your farm system and you're talking about your prospects. Uh, quite often, you get jaded and, and you're just uh, just covered with with uh, local media and local. Uh, predictions and local evaluations of talent uh so we here always like to get uh an outsider's view uh so we are proud and, and happy to bring in jeff paternostro uh the senior prospect writer for baseball prospectus is here uh this evening and he's joined us and uh we're glad that uh, to hear him uh what's going on jeff how are you doing this evening Good. Uh, I am three hours ahead of you, so it's a wow. late night for me. But there's a a lot of late nights during prospect list season, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hey, Jeff. So you're a Mets fan. Um, let's talk about how you got into writing and uh, how exactly you got affiliated with Baseball Prospectus. So my route to a national prospect writer role certainly goes through my Mets fandom in a lot of ways. I mean, I'll go all the way back to my interest in prospects, which I think was first peaked around 2005. I was writing for a now long-defunct uh, Mets, you know, either a WordPress or a Blogspot site. I don't even remember at this point. But uh, I live just outside of Hartford, and I was catching the Binghamton Mets when they were coming into town uh, to play New Britain in you know, the Eastern League in A. And they had two interesting pitching prospects there that year. Uh, Brian Bannister, who now is actually a sort of pitching coordinator, pitching guru for the Boston Red Sox, and Yusmero Petit, who's still sort of bouncing around as a reliever in the majors. They were their two best pitching prospects in an otherwise fallow farm system. I didn't catch Petit in that series. He was the more highly regarded prospect at the time. But I remember watching Brian Bannister pitch, and it wasn't a lot of stuff. He would touch 90 on occasion, four-pitch mix. The kind of guy that now that I've been doing this for a few years, you see a lot of in double-A, just sort of an average double-A type starter. But I remember watching Bannister pitch and just thinking, like, this looks different. This looks like it's going to work in the majors, and it certainly did for a, for a period of time. There was some injury issues in there as well that cut short his career. But it sort of got me to thinking, it's sort of the thing that's always in the back of my mind when I'm doing this generally for any team is what does major league performance actually look like? How can we 
identify it early. So what are the telltale signs? And a lot of it's pattern recognition. And then really from there, uh, around 2011, I started writing for Amazon Avenue and covering prospects there. Essentially, Eric Simon, the editor at the time, put a call out for minor league coverage. And I sent in a, a, you know, a CV and a writing sample and, and got hired. And I decided at that point, like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to go to games. I'm going to talk to scouts. I'm going to talk to people that know more about this than I do. And I just sort of got better. Some of those early reports are absolutely terrible to go back and read. Like I just remind <laughs> myself of, of that. Um, someone that I was even right about but for all the wrong reasons. Um, it's a progression, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's reps. It's pattern recognition. It's seeing how the guys you're right about develop, how the guys you're wrong about develop. Um, you know, I've been doing this now for seven years uh, in, in various capacities and various roles. And I'm still wrong about guys all the time. Um, and you just sort of you learn and you move on and I try to get the best information I can I, I rely heavily on my staff that's spread all around the country getting live looks and that's that's really the backbone of what we do is getting that first hand information on those prospects seeing them on the field and ultimately making a call yeah so uh, you're, you're the man in charge over at BP right now in terms of prospects right uh, me and Craig Goldstein, who's the the minor league editor, sort of coordinate all of the the lists from sort of like a scheduling and a, and a writing standpoint. But yeah, ultimately the uh, reports can be written by myself or anyone that's seen those guys live. But the rankings and the roles are uh, are under my purview. So, what's it feel like to uh, be in that position after all that hard work? You know, it's uh, the list season in a lot of ways is sort of the least satisfying part for me. Yeah, it, yeah. it become it, it becomes a bit of a slog. Like I love going to games. I love watching baseball. I love you know trying to figure this stuff out. But the you know the ordinal rankings and sort of the act of putting a you know one through ten on these guys is just not particularly interesting to me. Like I'm sort of more like I'll say the the ordinal ranking is the least interesting part of our list. But of course the people. It's what they care the most about for whether you're a fan or a, a dynasty league fantasy player. You know, you're going to have sort of stronger opinions about whether Mackenzie Gore is the second best prospect in this system, whether it should be Cal Quantrill or Michael Baez or Louis Urias than really I am. I think that's those are all justifiable positions and sort of the gap is overstated by a simple ordinal ranking. But as uh, as Craig said to me shortly after I took this job, People love lists, and it's yeah. by far the most uh, the most read stuff that I put out in any given year. And yeah. you have to really sort of acknowledge that and do the best job you can with it. Like you have to, like I have my reasons for the way these guys are ranked. I may be wrong, but I have my reasons. Yeah, lists definitely get clicks. I mean, that's something I've come to know as I write more and more. <laughs> All right, so let's get right into it. Um, what are your overall thoughts on the Padres system? Um, Kind of what are you seeing going forward for them in 2018 and beyond? So we are doing lists. The order of our list schedule this year is based on last season org rankings. Mm-hmm. So the Padres came in fifth. Is that right? One, two, three. It's already this is great. Cause it's already been like a week, and my brain's already mushed. So they came in fourth. <laughs> they were the fourth list to go up, um, and it was an incredibly deep system last year. Uh, obviously, they graduated. Manny Margot and Hunter Renfro, which were at the top of their system. 
but I think it's at least as strong a system as it was last year, maybe even a tick stronger, if only because we were aware of their large July 2nd International Free Agent class, but now we've actually started to get those guys stateside, uh, and a lot of them dot the sort of the 11 through 20 portion of this list, and they're guys that, well, even past this uh, 21 names that you can find that can be potential major league regulars. It's an incredibly deep system. Uh, we debated various short season names past the ones you even see here. It's just incredibly deep. And look, a lot of these guys, I mean, these guys won't get out of double A. That's just the nature of the game. And when you're looking at guys that are 17 in short season ball, tools are great. When they're 22 year olds in double A, you got to start looking at performance. Uh, we're not yeah. at that point yet for a lot of these guys, but you collect enough of them, and you only really need to hit on one or two, and there's some very, very interesting names at the sort of in the next 10. But even just look at the top 10, this might be the best group of prospect arms in baseball. Mm-hmm. It's not really a system you think of as like having these elite pitching prospects. You know, You might think of the Phillies, or you might think of the Yankees before that, but just sort of the depth and the balance between lefties and righties, you know, upside and and floor. Mm-hmm. And just in sheer volume, you know, looking at the top 10 and maybe the next few spots past that, it's really, really deep in pitchers, which is dangerous because pitching prospects especially, you know, there's the old uh, prospect writer adage of tin staff. There is no such thing as a pitching prospect. But this is another place where if you collect enough of them, there's a very good chance you turn one or more of them into, you know, mid rotation or top of rotation starters. And you get you only there's only five starting rotation spots. You only really need to hit on one or two of these guys to mm-hmm. really see the fruits of your farm system impacting your major league team. Yeah, I mean, we, you said it. I mean, we have seven uh, out of you guys' top ten are, are starting pitchers. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how they trickle in. Um, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on uh, Mackenzie Gore versus Fernando Tatis as far as the, the top prospect. Um, there's been a lot of debate over which should be top. Uh, both are, are teenagers, so it's you know it's impossible to understand exactly what what their abilities are in the long term. But um, give me your thoughts on both those young men and, and what you think that their floor is and what you think their ceiling is. I think pretty clearly Tatis is the best prospect in the system right now, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, okay. One, there's just a little more surety in the position player versus the pitcher, and mm-hmm. two, he already has a much longer professional track record, which is you know funny to say for a guy that's eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know he's he had a very strong full season ball debut. The Midwest League is not an easy place to hit. He was one no. of the youngest players in that league, and he hit 21 home runs and stole 29 bases in 117 games. That's no. you know impact performance, and we have. Multiple looks in the Midwest League. We have three people in the Midwest League this year. And the the scouting looks match the performance. Um, he's probably not a shortstop long-term. Um, I guess the way I would put it is those are not the, the thighs and the butt of a future Major League shortstop. He's got a very strong lower half. Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, his, his father obviously was a very good third baseman. And I was talking about this with one of our prospect writers yesterday, like, we don't think of Fernando Tatis as this like great major league player, partially because his, his peak was fairly short and partially because his peak was 1998 to 2000, which was a very high offense era where it was tough to stand out. You know, he had 30 home run, 20 stolen base seasons. 
know, he was a pretty good defensive third baseman at times, especially when he was younger. Um, you know, he was a very good major league player for a time, and that's the kind of, I think, upside you can see from his kid. It's, it's, it really is crazy to think he was traded for James Shields. It's sort yeah. of an, it's like an <laughs> underrated, like, steal of a trade, I think, in recent years. Because because he was traded so young, you sort of think of Tatis just sort of as a Padres prospect at this point and kind of forget oh. that he was originally signed by the White Sox uh, out of the Dominican. Now, there's some swing and miss here. Again, he's an 18-year-old in the Midwest League. He's aggressive. It's noisy. You know, this, this is all stuff. It's it's a little bit raw. This is all stuff that's going to have to sort itself out. I think the interesting thing for me going into 2018 is going to be if they start him in Lake Elsinore or send him back to double A. Because he had a brief cup of coffee in double A. I don't want to read too much into 14 games. We did have a look at him there. It looked pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh, he didn't look horribly overmatched. Um, you might want to keep him out of the Cal League because, like, really, what is he learning in the Cal League? But that's but, but, a very... wait, but wait, Jeff. But but then that means that Patrick and I don't get to get see him though. In, in well, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's that. Um, that's a very aggressive assignment for send a 19 year old double A. It so is. I don't. I, I like I, I'm, fine. Let him let him slug 700 in the Cal League for six weeks. It's, it's yeah, not the, the, end of the world. That's 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 kind of where I am with it, but we'll have to see what the Padres do. I mean, they are they have been very aggressive with him, and you know you'd hate to see him go to Double A and and struggle, and then have to deal with some demons in that regard. So I, I you know who knows? We'll see. We'll have to see. I guess. Uh, as far as Gore goes, uh, there's an argument that he was the best arm period in this draft class. I mean, if you want to view sort of Brendan McKay and Hunter Green strictly as pitchers, and Hunter Green going forward will strictly be a pitcher. You know, even comparing him to someone like Kyle Wright, who went fourth overall to the Braves, you know, it's, he's that classic sort of lean, projectable, prep southpaw. You know, you you hope he fills out a little bit. Maybe the fastball ticks up into the mid nineties, although he has plenty of fastball velocity. He's got that really pretty big one to seven lefty curveball. So the thing that stands out about him of course is the mechanics are unorthodox um it's not he's got some of the lefty funk to him he's got a very high leg kick the arm action's pretty long he drops down low there's a lot of sort of things that can get out of sync it hasn't really been an issue so far i don't anticipate it being an issue going forward but it's just something to keep an eye on and just really the only difference here is we gave them very similar role grades um Tatis gets the edge just because of the longer pro track record and sort of the safety of the hitter over the pitcher. Definitely fair. Uh, I'm curious about your ranking of Quantrill, Morajone, Baez. Um, I think me and James pretty much agree that those three guys can pretty much go in any order. I mean, it really doesn't matter. I think they're all pretty similar in terms of current performance and maybe future projection. Um, What are your thoughts on that group? I know that's three guys all at once, but... uh, what are your thoughts on those three? I know you have Quantrill ahead of the other two. Yeah, it's you could, like you said, pretty much order three, four, five in in any way you want. I guess Quantrill here is just an argument of sort of proximity slash floor. Uh, again, he has a upper minors track record already. You know, he's pitched in Double A. He was very well regarded coming out of college. He might have been a first overall pick if he wasn't 
dealing with Tommy John surgery his junior season. It's, you know, present three-pitch mix that you can easily see all three pitches being major league quality. So that combined with the fact that he could be up as soon as late 2018, probably 2019, I think gives him the nod. These are all guys that are going to be around top 50 prospects, more or less. We're talking about, if I had to guess, a spread of maybe 20 spots on our 101, which at that point in the list just isn't that significant. Mm -hmm. Um, That could change certainly by the 2019 list. I think they'll probably all be still eligible for that list. You know, Baez is the guy that we discussed internally pushing higher. Like our staff looks, and there were a lot of them both in in the complex and in the Midwest League, we're very, very good. Like the stuff yeah. is legit. He's a. It's just. It's. It's like it's serious major league stuff. But I yeah. think with both him and 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 Morjon, there is a little bit more reliever risk in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Morjon doesn't have like sort of your ideal starter size. He's a shorter lefty. Um. The changeup is a work in progress, which again is absolutely fine when you're 18 and pitching in the Midwest League. That's the norm more often than not. Uh, Baez, of course, a little bit different background. You know, a Cuban signee as a 20 year old went right into organized baseball this year and, and pitched well and showed, I think, of these three guys, the best sort of most projectable stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, again, refining the off-speed stuff and sort of putting it all together over a over a more full professional season. He only threw 60 innings this year. So it's like, we don't know if any of these guys, and really even Quantrill, one of the hardest things to tell right now with any pitching prospect is can they handle a major league starter's workload because none of these guys really throw it in the minors. You know, Quantrill was the closest this year through over 110 innings. It was his first full season coming off Tommy John surgery. You can you know, keep the reins on a little bit. But I think with all of these guys, we'll learn a little bit more next year. They're both going to start. All three are going to start in full season ball levels. They're going to all get sort of a more full starters load as much as any pitching prospect does uh, in the minors at this point in time. And again, this could be shaken up in any way, shape, or form by the time we have this conversation next year. Yeah, seriously. I mean, these guys have the ability to jump from double-A to, to the majors if if all breaks well. I mean, Baez is just so impressive. I mean, at 6'8", to show the control that he's had already to be able to repeat his mechanics and stuff, I mean, he walked 10 batters, uh, opposed 89Ks in 63 innings last season. So, I mean, it's just advanced stuff. I know he was pitching a little... Uh, pitching a little pitching against uh, prospects who are a little younger than him because he started a little later. But yeah, I'm just, you know, Patrick and I are just so delighted with this farm system. I mean, for decades, this the Padres farm system has just been just been crap, for, for lack of better words. Uh, there's been nothing to be excited about. And, and now we have dozens of, of players that we can actually count on to be contributors in the Major League uh, basis one day. So it, it's, it's exciting for us. Um, let's get into Luis... Area, someone who's uh, shown 
an incredible plate discipline, which is kind of unheard of in this day and age. Uh, he always gets the Altuve comp. Um, whenever we talk about him, I, I don't know if you're a comp guy. I'm not much of a comp guy myself, but I'm not. I'm not an Altuve comp guy for sure. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just the stature and the the plate no, sure. discipline. It's, 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 Altuve is going to become one of those guys you just can't comp. Like there's, there's yeah, guys exactly. you can't comp. The classic <laughs> no. example was always Bo Jackson. On the pitching yeah. side, it was always Greg Maddox and Jamie Moyer. I feel like Altuve is going to be like the the short infielder guy that you're just not allowed yeah. to comp anymore. Yeah, every short infielder is going to be compared <laughs> to him for sure. But you know, let's get into Luis Arias. What, what kind of uh, what kind of ceiling do you see him? Uh, the, Car- the Padres are currently giving him some time at shortstop. Um, I'm hesitant to think that he can succeed there long term. But give me your thoughts on him defensively and uh, offensively. I mean, the bat's going to carry the, the profile here wherever he ends up. I think he'll probably be fine at second base uh, long term. He might end up more of a, I don't want to say a Ben Zobris type of some their comp user, but a guy that gets uh, deployed in that kind of manner. Where, again, yeah, maybe you play him at shortstop once a week, second most of the time. You know, give him an outfield glove just to give you a little bit more defensive flexibility. But this is not like a super utility player. This is a guy that might have enough bat to play every day. Um, you will find people that say this is a a future batting champ. It's a seven-hit tool all the way. And, you know, as again, a guy who spent a chunk of the season at 19 in AA, the performance was very good. It's everything you want in a, you know, if you're going to throw a seven hit on a guy, you want a guy that has good pitch rec, has good bat speed, and control the barrel. And that all describes Urias. It's just the hardest thing to do, I think, for me as an evaluator, is to identify guys that will definitely hit major league pitching. That is the hardest thing. And especially becomes an issue with guys like Urias because that's the carrying tool here. There isn't a ton of defensive value. There's not, you know, big tools, fast twitch up the middle type profile things. He is going to have to hit and he is going to have to get on base. We think he'll do it. Um, There were certainly people internally arguing to have him even higher than that uh, on the strength of that hit tool. But, you know, that's sort of the risk in the profile here. He's going to have to hit major league pitching, and he, he can't hit 260, 270. I mean, if he hits that, he will be a major leaguer, uh, but it'll be more of a bench role. You know, he has to hit 290. Uh, and that's, especially in this era, uh, a pretty big ask. Yeah, I think it's definitely true that that is a big ask, especially with how many guys are actually hitting near 300. Um, so, yeah, I think it all really depends on how that profile works at the next level. Um, I wanted to move on to Anderson Espinoza. Um, I heard from a lot of Padre fans that they think he shouldn't even be ranked in the top 10 because of the injury, and you kind of don't know what he's going to be when he comes back from the injury. I mean, realistically, he's not going to pitch until 2019, most likely, so I think it's kind of hard to project him. I mean, we, we know what the, what the talent's there, the, the skills are there. Uh, I kind of wanted your thoughts on him and kind of how you guys um, had that discussion when you were ranking him. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a good answer here on how to handle you know, these type of pitching prospects. And you see a lot of them because Tommy John surgery is something that, if not de rigueur, is something you see a fair amount of. And you have to, you know, this will not be the only system where I have to make these kind of calls. Um, 
you know, we ranked Espinosa as the 24th best prospect in baseball coming into the season based on the stuff that he showed in, in 2016 and before. Now, he is going to miss, he missed most of this, all of this season. He's probably going to miss most of, if not all of next season. You can expect him to come back on a mound and get most of his stuff back because in the majority of cases with pitchers coming off that surgery, that's what happens more or less. Now, there are guys who don't come back from it or don't come back all the way. That is also a thing that can happen, and that's sort of at that point, do you just not rank him? We didn't rank Chris Paddock. Um, Mm -hmm. The reason we didn't is Paddock while having, I think, similar upside, did not have the professional track record. Like, he popped, basically, right before the trade uh, from the Marlins to the Padres and then got hurt. Uh, So I just, I'm not as confident. Like, I don't know what he is if he comes back at 100% yet, essentially. And there's the risk, of course, like with Espinosa, he doesn't come back at 100%. I think it really has to be a case-by-case basis. You know, we went through this with Hunter Harvey in the Orioles system, last year and we'll have to deal with it again this year you know Jamison Tayo and missed two full seasons for Tommy John surgery and then and then a hernia issue the lost development time I think is meaningful but he'll assuming he's ready for opening day 2019 with no setbacks and and no further concerns and a relatively normal Tommy John rehab will be a 21 year old that's probably going to go to the Midwest League or the Cal League and that's not wildly age inappropriate, and then we'll evaluate the stuff from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's no, what. Yeah, it's just what I have to do for this. Yeah, and no, I think I don't. That, I don't feel good. I don't feel good about it. To be clear, I don't feel really <laughs> confident about it. And I say as much in the report, but it, you know, I'm throwing a dart here. I think the Padre system gives me a bit of a uh, a bit of a nice little break between the top six and sort of the lower ceiling guys mm-hmm. further down the list, where I could just kind of like slot him in and be like, eh, this feels about right. Um, but we don't know what we don't know yet, and we won't know that until 2019. And, you know, uncertainty is sort of the most annoying thing that you have to deal with when you're a prospect writer. And certainly the specifics of Espinosa's, you know, there was going to be risks here otherwise. Again, he's not, he's an undersized righty that was a very long way from the majors even before this injury, and now he's yeah. going to essentially lose two years of development time. So, yeah, yeah this we think he's the seventh best prospect in the system, and we're just going to twiddle our yeah. thumbs for the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, the upside's just tremendous with him. So, you know, it's it's a fair to have him in the top ten because the, the, the ability was just there. I mean, he before the injury, he was in discussion as one of the top right-handed uh, starting pitchers in all of Major League Baseball as far as prospects are concerned. So, you know, the pedigree's there. I worry about his size and his – inability to throw a lot of innings or in, in the past, but he is still a teenager, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, let's move on to number eight and nine on your list. Uh, two, Another two lefties. Uh, it's amazing because the Padres have four left-handed starting pitchers in the top ten. Uh, Eric Lauer and Logan Allen. Uh, a little bit similar, as, as in both kind of uh, have a, a decent mix of pitches, but give me your thoughts on, on both uh, Eric Lauer and uh, Logan Allen. Yeah, so now we're sort of into the, the... The way I describe Eric Lauer is he is the eighth best prospect in many, many systems. Like, this type of guy. Um, you know, it's a lefty with a 
average fastball with the command plays up. He's got another, you know, above average potential plus pitch in the changeup. And, you know, a couple breaking balls that are fine. Uh, you know, the stuff plays up, or the, the profile plays up a little past the stuff. Uh, it's very similar with, with Allen as well, although he has a, you know, a better breaking ball than change at that point, which is sort of, like, I think, the more traditional back-end starter profile, uh, sort of at, at the respective points in their careers they are right now. You know, they're nice guys. I don't think there's a lot separating them between these two and, and Jacob Nix and Joey Lucchesi. Uh, but again... Lucchesi, that's, that's, that, that's, a, that's the fifth lefty that I was going to bring up next. Is yeah. hey, I was a little surprised that he wasn't included in the top ten. I think uh, several people were. Um, any thoughts on him and, and why he was excluded from the top ten? Uh, so I have been burned... I, I, says, I think I said this on Twitter. I have been burned too many times by lefties with good change-ups and not good breaking balls. Uh, as a profile, and it's a profile I'm generally very sympathetic to because I love a nice, like, left-handed tumbling change out of the hand. It's very aesthetically pleasing to me. Um, <laughs> so the problem is with those guys, like, if uh, you, you can see someone like Alan, if the Changeup doesn't really come around. He's still got that nice big breaking curve. He's a lefty that can dial it up, you know, maybe into even in the mid nineties in short bursts. That's an easy guy to find a major league role for. You know, the lefty that sits in the low nineties with a changeup, if that guy's not a starter, it's very difficult to find a full pen role for him. You don't see a lot of sort of lefty fastball changeup relievers. Now these are like not these are like, you know, twenty fifth, thirtieth 35th percentile outcomes, but it's something you do have to consider because you want to, you want a guy that you can get major league value out of. That's the whole point of having a, a really nice farm system. It's is to create major league value, whether it's these guys turning into major league pieces or dealing them for major league pieces. You know, it, this is a cop out. I'll say it like Lucchesi was probably number 12 in this system. I think Nick's was number 11. You know, Nick's okay. was in the top 10 on various version of this list and the difference between 8 and 12 just is not significant this is the prospect writer cop out but it's true yeah, uh, yeah. often than not it's just you know I would probably write uh, Lucchesi as a, as a half grade below the two lefties in the top 10 just because I haven't seen the, the breaking ball pop enough yet for me but it just isn't a significant difference he's a very good pitching prospect um, and the nice thing is when you have guy enough guys like this in this tier and I'll even throw in uh, Annual De Los Santos uh, who I think yeah. is a little bit underrated uh, yes. at times. You know, we're ranking all of these guys essentially around roll five, around some sort of either average major league starter or, or decent setup. They end up in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. In any given class, any given sort of group of five of those guys, there's a decent chance one of them just pops and turns into a mid-rotation starter. That's why you collect, you know, as many pitchers as the Padres have because you increase your chance of getting a good outcome. Yeah, I think it's definitely true that you need as many uh, prospects, especially pitching prospects, as you can have. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me and probably a lot of Padre fans was that Hudson Potts snuck his way onto the top ten over guys like Ona, Naylor, uh, you mentioned Lucchese, De Los Santos, even Franchi Cordero. Uh, I kind of want to know what played into that, if you guys just threw him on there uh, based on his big second half or if there's a more long-term projection there. I think a little bit of both. Um Again, crazy young guy to be in the in the Midwest League, which is a very difficult place to hit. There's real power here. He can probably stick at 
third base and be a pretty good third baseman even. Uh, again, 18-year-old, you don't know how the body's going to go. He's a big guy, athletic. You know, it's, it's, it's a big, you know, strong corner profile. But, yeah, I think it's just... You sort of bet on the on the raw power and the and the third base profile, sort of carrying the day here. Even if the if he's more of like a two forty hitter, um, you could certainly make the case that Ona has a little bit more upside. But the bat's really going to have to like that's a corner outfielder, not a great corner outfielder, and he has a lot of sort of the same. <laughs> A lot of sort of the same rawness right now that Potts has too. Yeah, and he's two years older, or yeah. a year older, a year, a year older. Change, yeah. yeah. Um, again, not. This is such a for me. There's a very clear top six here. Uh, I think all of those guys are not just slam dunk one on one prospects, but you know, if not all of the top half of that list, certainly near a top seventy five. Let's say roughly. I haven't even looked at the most recent. I mean, I wrote it, but I haven't looked at the most recent draft of the list closely enough to uh, to really narrow it down further than that. And then, really, you know, Espinosa is sort of, I think, his own little beast. If you want to call it a separate tier, you can do that. And then, really, eight to about eighteen or so. Like, I we ordered these in the way we did for a reason. But if if somebody was going to come to me and say. Man, I really, I really like Louis Almanzar. Or, man, I, I don't know. I think you, you underrated the Chesi. I'd have to be like, yeah, you might absolutely be right. Like, I'm not the kind of guy that's like really gonna pound the table and say, no, no, no. We, we rank these guys at a very specific reason. There's this. No, no. It's. I think there's certainly arguments to be had here. It's such a deep system, and it's such a, a system that's so in flux, especially because of the amount of young talent here. We think about a year in the life of a you know an 18 year old or a 19 year old prospect can be just absolutely huge from a developmental standpoint. You know, there's a chance that we are sitting here next year and we're like, wow, yeah, like Louis Almanzar just absolutely killed mm-hmm. the Midwest League, mm-hmm. and I would not be. And he's like, he's a top 101 prospect and you know a top five or six prospect in the system. You know, sitting here next year. It could completely go in the other direction. He might strike out 175 <laughs> times. And, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not a. Uh, it's not an exact science at all. And, it, it's and, certainly not, especially <laughs> when you're dealing with 17 year olds. Yes. And short season ball. It's it's yes. just predicting what they're going to look like in five years from a physical standpoint is again yeah. this is what this is what I get paid to do. This is certainly what scouts get paid to do is to make these kind of calls. But I think. The way look, I look at it is, look, look, I have to be very confident in the way I rank these guys. I have to be, I have to believe in my staff reports. I have to believe in my own personal opinion on these guys. But it's, you know, it's there's so much room for for disagreement, uh, absolutely reasonable disagreement in how you wanna you wanna rank these guys. I think the one thing we can all agree on is it's an incredibly deep system. It's an incredibly yeah. talent rich yes. system. Um, and it's probably going to look, I, I think Tatis will still be number one next year, but past that, it could look very, very different from a, from a ranking standpoint than it does now. Yeah, no, you, you said it brilliantly. I mean, they have so many young, uh, Dominican, Cuban, 
Venezuelan kids who could step up out of nowhere and, and become top 100 prospects. Uh, Luis Almazar is someone who came with a high pedigree. He was one of the highest uh, rated offensive players in the 2016 uh, international market. Uh, he had a slow start last season, but he's someone who could take off out of nowhere. Uh, there's, I mean, there's Jody Barley. There's the, the names just go on and on with with the Padres in, the, in that regard. Uh, AJ Preller's definitely subscribed to the notion that the more is better, and uh, you know, not all these guys are going to pan out. We all know that. Even these top ten guys that we listed, you know, there's a chance that some of them don't even make the major leagues. That's we're well aware of that fact. But the fact that this system is just so deep is just. It's wonderful. Um, there's someone who I'd like to talk about who was picked up by the Padres late last season, uh, and that's Estiri Ruiz from the Royals. Um, are you versed in him? Uh, he's been uh, pretty impressive. Uh, he had a, an outstanding uh, season last year uh, in the um, in the Arizona League. Um, give me your thoughts on him. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, great things, uh, great comps on him, and great uh, comparisons of him uh, with the power and speed that he possesses. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna meander my way towards this by way of a story. I was at a saber seminar in August in Boston, and Rick Hahn, uh, the White Sox were in town, so Rick Hahn did basically just uh, show up and talk for 45 minutes about whatever. And he told this story. I think I, he was an AGM. I think it was it might have even been under Kenny Williams, but uh, he was telling this story about getting. A, he was like it was around Christmas time. He got a call from. His GM, and he's like, "Yeah, we got offered this trade, and I, I remember the exact name of the prospect. Like, but they want this prospect." And he's like, "Oh, yeah, hmm." And like, he like made a very big show of like thinking on the phone for like twenty seconds. It's like, man, I gotta tell you, I have no idea who that is. And the GM's like, "Oh, thank God, I have no idea who it is either." And it was, it was, <laughs> it was. And AJ Preller was trying to get one of their sixteen-year-old Dominican kids, and that's wow. like he's very good at like. <laughs> identifying one of those. So what you'll see is when guys get dealt at the deadline like this, you'll see all these, you'll get like a pop-up crop, either it's on Twitter or a bunch of like YouTube scouts and stuff like that. Like, oh yes, this is actually this highly underrated prospect. And a lot of times it depends on what teams uh, uh, acquiring them and how that, and how, how much or how loud that kind of cry rises from the, from the Twitterati and whatnot. Now I'll be honest with you. I had no idea who S. Jury Ruiz was yeah, when, really? <laughs> when they traded for him. But within, like, literally 30 minutes of the trade got it happening, we, like, wow, myself and other good. members of staff were like, oh, yeah, this guy's actually really good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the report started to come out, and it's, you know, there's only a certain amount of things you can look for in short season ball. And, and covering short season ball, I find very difficult. I see, you know, I live in the Northeast. I cover a lot of New York Penn League. I've gone down and seen complex level ball in Florida. I try to get down to the Appy League once a year. And you really have to sort of, you know, refocus your eyes on different things. Because when I'm, I cover primarily like the Eastern League, you know, I'll go down and, and see some South Atlantic League stuff in Lakewood. But, you know, most of the coverage I do is, you know, Eastern League, International League. Cause that's what's around me. And at that point, you're really looking for, all right. These guys aren't fin- aren't finished products, but you got to be able to identify: Can this guy help a major league team? Because really, when you're at those levels, you're one phone call away from major league contribution at any given time. A lot of these guys are, especially the better prospects, and may have been around for a while, are already on the forty man. So, what you're looking for is what do they do that can help a major league team? 
when you're looking at a 17 year old in complex ball, what I or even even you know short season pen league, happy league, any of these uh, low low minors, all I'm looking for honestly is I want to see something that doesn't look out of place on a major league diamond. So uh, a guy I like a lot. Uh, Archimedes Gamboa, who's a shortstop in the Philly system. I saw him last year in Williamsport. And he just, he made a couple nice plays in the hole in shortstop. You know, like the sort of the pick and pop from the outfield grass on the backhand. He had a nice double play turn. He turned on a fastball inside, you know, down the line and hustled double. Like, it's like, it was really raw. It it still is to a certain extent, even uh, in full season ball this year. But like, oh, this is this is a flash. This looks right. Uh, with Ruiz, it's serious bat speed. Like, there's some things you can't teach, and he just has majorly quality bat speed. Now, he doesn't have majorly quality approach yet, um, which is which is that he doesn't have a majorly quality. You know, he's not a major. It's not a major league body. It's still an, an underdeveloped yeah. frame. So it's going to be a work in progress, and it's not well. It, He's got an athletic tool. He's not a great defender, and he's already a second baseman at 18, which isn't great. But he's another guy that I think, much like Almanzar, we could look up in yeah, exactly. a year from now. It's like, oh, he's hitting 280 with power in the Midwest League as a 19-year-old. Yeah. That's that, interesting. Yeah, the, the first taste of, of full, seed, full season ball for these guys could just be a light that turns on for them. So, you, you know, you never know until they get that, that full exposure and, and all those at-bats. So. We talk about we talk about sort of the double A test for a lot of these guys, where it's like mm-hmm. you really until you do it at double A you don't really know. Mm-hmm. But the jump to full season ball is, I think, a highly underrated one in so much that it it really separates guys out quickly. Yeah, you're seeing more college arms, you know, guys that can, you know, not great breaking balls, but guys that'll you know throw their off speed when they're behind and counts. From time to time, you know, you see just a ton of velocity up and down the minors now. Like, that's the thing I've noticed, especially over the last, you know, six, seven years of doing this is nowadays, A-ball bullpens, it used to be, I see a lot of, like, college relievers throwing 88 to 90 with soft curveballs. Now every bullpen's got guys that are 95, 96, 97, hard sliders, like, even all the way down into into A-ball pens. And that that's a big jump. Yeah. You don't see that in you know the backfields in Arizona. You just don't. No, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how this crop of young young players is able to deal with the the full season, the the travel, the just the the grind that it is uh, playing every single day. So it's interesting. Um, Jeff, we've had a great time. Uh, I have one more question for you before we wrap. Um, is there anybody? who we haven't mentioned who deserves a shout out from the Padres top 30 list. Uh, anybody in particular that uh, you have your eye on uh, for having an, uh, a big uh, 2018 year and maybe a uh, Michael Geddes who's searching for that, that uh, elusive plate discipline that uh, has played him for a long time. Uh, anybody in particular you think will make a big jump uh, this coming season? So uh, I'll throw, th- I'll throw th- 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 two names that I think are, we'll know a little bit more about next year. I already mentioned Daniel De Los Santos, and I don't think he gets enough 
press, and that's easy because it's a very, very deep crop of pitching prospects, as we've discussed, and he doesn't have the upside a lot of these guys have, but it's, he's got like a deceptive, he's like, it's, he he looks taller than he is. Like, when you watch him pitch, he, like he's listed at 6'3". He might actually be taller than that, because a lot of these are signing mm-hmm. uh, signing heights, and some of these guys, you know, add inches and pounds. Um, but he, like, he pitches taller than that. Like, you see him pitch, and you think he's, like, 6'6". He just, he's very upright, and it's a short arm action. It's kind of funky. He's got a couple feels. He's got, he's got a feel for a couple different secondaries. He can hit the mid-90s. Again, it's not a ton of upside. He might be a reliever, but he's, I think, a guy I like a little bit more than the than the profile would suggest. Uh, another guy that didn't actually make our list, and it was a, a bit of a discussion internally. We almost wrote sort of as the as the second opinion piece, uh, sort of an an address of that is Josh Naylor. Um, okay. And I saw Josh Naylor in Greensboro in 2016, you know, coming off the draft. I think he was still 17 at the time. I think he turned to 18 like June of that year. So he's a very young draftee. Um, and I like I liked it. Like it's a first base. It was always going to be a first base profile, so it was tough to, uh, you know, obviously got to hit a lot. But he showed plus raw and BP. I kind of like the approach for a guy, you know, just holding his own against older arms and a very aggressive full season of ball assignment, given his age, he was a better athlete than he looked. Although, you know, the frame where he was a short stocky first baseman at the time, um, I saw a picture of him in the Arizona fall league and the body is just gone in a, a, I guess a direction that was always kind of a risk, but it's just, it's what we sort of, I think, politely say in my world, a high-maintenance physique. <laughs> um, he, he is. He's a big guy. But you know what? It's he's big. It's like, he moves very he well. He does. He moves well, yeah. Uh, I mean, so he always has. So it, it's tough because you, like, look at that, and it, it, there's going to be certain, like, He's got a Scout, big Ruth scouting, we'll, we'll, Yeah, scouting. I, th- I was going to say Bartolo Colon, really. It's a little bit of an exaggeration. But it is. Um but he's a guy, you know, he made double A this year. It's, you know, if he was still in the Marlins system, he'd be a top three or four prospect. Yeah. Uh, he probably yeah. probably would have been two behind Braxton Garrett coming into the year. Now, that's a very, very bad system and very shallow, especially. And the Padres system is, you know, literally the polar opposite of it in, you know, from an organizational depth and organizational ranking standpoint. But I'm sort of curious what he does with a sort of full season in. Double X. He's just he's just always a guy I've kind of been interested in. Cause you, I feel like when I see those guys early, not that I get attached to them, but I get very sort of like curious about them because I yeah. because I've seen them early and I get sort of that baseline immediately, and that's sort of the thing to sort of tie it all back in. You know, you want to see the pattern recognition. You want to see how these guys develop, what it looks like when it works, and what it looks like when it does it too. That's also uh, valuable information. So I'm curious which direction Naylor goes in 2018. Yeah, no, he's he's one that has an edge to him that I, I've always pointed to. That he just has that, that cockiness, that arrogance, that that uh, that ability that he knows he belongs and he knows he can hit, and that's something that can't be taught. You know, you you you, you get shamed really quickly in the game of baseball, and despite uh, any zero for fours with four Ks, he's going to come back the next day and he's going to be as confident as ever. And that's that's something I see him. Um, Obviously, the body's always going to be a discussion, but at 20 years old, it's it's to, to definitely uh, 
give up on him for sure. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for, for joining us. We had a blast. I don't know if Patrick's asleep or not. Or, uh, he's been kind of quiet. Oh, I'm here. <laughs> oh, he's there. He is. There he is. Um, <laughs> it, it was a blast talking to you, Jeff. We, we had we could have gone on all night. Uh, you're on the East Coast. So we definitely want to get you to bed. Uh, you're a very busy man. But thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. Uh, shout out to Baseball Prospectus. Uh, we love the site. We love uh, reading everything and digesting everything you guys produce out. So, uh, big thank you for for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that was a great discussion with Jeff. Uh, Patrick, want to just uh, throw out Jeff's Twitter ID and give him some love? Yeah, so uh, you can follow Jeff at at Jeff Paternostro. That's P A T E R N O S T R O. He's a great follow. Uh, always tweeting about prospects. Always tweeting about baseball. Uh, it's the dark days now, so we got to get as much baseball content as we can. Definitely, definitely. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, folks, on this episode 72. It was really great talking to Jeff and, and getting some insight on uh, a lot of these uh, young Padre prospects that are uh, making their way up the system. Uh, thank you so much, folks, for joining us. East Village Times podcast is signing out. EBT is out here broadcasting. EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT Podcast. Padres EBT Podcast.